Team, welcome back to the official SASTA podcast brought to you by me, Harry Stebbings at H Stebbings with two B's on Snapchat and the main man at SASTA, Jason Lemkin at Jason LK on Twitter. Now, before we dive into the show today, uh, do not let me be drinking mojitos alone at SASTA annual 2017 and join me and Jason for the party. Uh, party? I mean, I mean conference. Uh, and if mojitos with me and Jason and some of the leading brains in SAS is not tempting enough, if you use the promo code drinks with Harry, those three words, drinks with Harry, you'll get an incredible 20 off the ticket price. And not only that, but the kind bank of Mr. Jason Lemkin will also pay for mojitos for a special happy hour of mojitos. Now, that is a tempting offer. So again, that's drinks with Harry when you buy tickets for Sasta Annual 2017. But to the show today, and I'm thrilled to welcome Sangram Vajre. Sangram is the co-founder and CMO at Terminus, the leading account-based marketing platform. And prior to Terminus, Sangram was head of marketing at Pardot, prior to its acquisition by Salesforce. Sangram is also the brains behind the marvel that has flipped my funnel, which challenged is the status quo of traditional B2B marketing practices and transforms how B2B marketers approach driving revenue in their organization. You might remember in a recent episode, Tim Kopp at Hyde Park Ventures cited Sangram and his revolutionary approach with Flip My Funnel as one to watch. If that's not enough, Sangram's also the author of account-based marketing for dummies. However, it's now time to meet the man behind Flip My Funnel, and I'm delighted to welcome Sangram Vajre, co-founder at Terminus. Good. That's perfect. Okay, I think we're warmed up. Well, Sangram, it's absolutely fantastic to have you on the official SASTA podcast. Thank you so much to Tim Kopp uh, for the intro, but thank you for joining me today, Sangram. I'm really excited, man. Now, I'd love to get started today with a two to three minute founding story of Terminus and how the business got off the ground and the aha moment. Oh, man. It's, uh, so I'll give you a little bit of history of myself and, and kind of dive deep into uh, like how it got all started. So I'm the co-founder and CMO at Terminus, which is an account-based marketing platform, unless you're living under a rock. Uh, I think most people know that account-based marketing is super hot, uh, so excited to be in the space. Prior to this, I ran marketing at Pardot, and we went to the acquisition of Exact Target and Salesforce. So a lot of great learnings over there, both from a startup perspective and then also from one of the most iconic brands for B2B, which is Salesforce, and seeing Mark Benioff behind the scenes uh, as to how they come up with the messaging and stuff like that. So really, really awesome. And I think in, in, in then along the way, I also wrote the book uh, on account-based marketing uh, published by Bali. So it's been a really good journey uh, for me so far. I think the founding story is pretty interesting the founders of the the original founders of the company uh, eric spett and eric, eric vass who are the co-founders of the company eric spett is the ceo and eric vass is the cto they started the company six months prior to me joining and they started with the idea that there's something happening in the b2b space uh, along advertising and not being very well served and six months into it they both are technology folks and they were building a lot of different things together and pushing uh, the envelope on how they can do advertising at scale and pretty much operated like a targeted advertising agency. Uh, And I was at one of the startup events and I saw them pitch and I said, hey, I think I love what you guys are doing, but... I would love to join and see if he can turn this into a product because that's where my heart and soul is. And they're like, but that's what we're trying to figure out. And and we sat down for two days, whiteboarded everything we possibly can. And I shared and said in that room, and I wrote about this uh, as well, is that, hey, this is account-based marketing. And both of them were like, well, what is account-based marketing? I'm like, you got to be kidding me. What you guys are building is the next generation of marketing automation. And you just need, we just need to move certain things around and we can go to town with this stuff. And people will love 
love it. I also remember this very much being the naive that I, I have been uh, because I'm not a serial startup entrepreneur or anything like that. I was like, man, this is product market fit. And they both laughed out loud. He was like, hey, we haven't even sold it. We haven't even built it. How can you say this is product market fit? And I was like, this is in my gut, man. I think as a marketer, I feel like this would be solid. The rest is history. We, uh, we really uh, pulled down together. They started to build the pieces together. And, you know, I moved from Salesforce and joined as a co-founder. So we restructured uh, the company a little bit and uh, really launched the product last March and started to sell the dream of account-based marketing with a product uh, that is back uh, and worked really well. And we went from zero to a million dollars in the first year and, and just keep, kept growing. Now, I want to start today on a topic within that that I know you're extremely passionate about. And that's the topic called Flip My Funnel, which has turned into quite a movement, really. I think we'll agree. So talk to me about Flip My Funnel and how the idea emerged and the steps that are incorporated in it. Oh, man, I, you're going to get me going on this one. Uh, I love the idea and, and, to talk, and to talk about Flip My Funnel, but I'll give you really a quick history uh, of how it all, all came about. I actually went to Scott Brinker's conference that happens that happened last year in February, uh, the MarTech conference, which a lot of people go to, just to observe and understand. And I saw him speak. I saw Jill Raleigh speak. I saw Rishi Dave, who's the CMO of Dun & Bradstreet, speak. And I was like just amazed of all the amazing stuff they're talking about. And I'm in Atlanta. So I had a flight back from San Francisco to Atlanta. And I got a middle seat, right? And you can see, you can think about like a five-hour journey and you're sitting in the middle. And I got two drunk people right next to me. So it was going to be a really, really horrific flight. Uh, so I got my head- headphones on and I started to scribble on a piece of napkin and, and started to draw a funnel because that's what they all were talking about at the Martech conference. And I said, there got to be something different here because this funnel that we all know has been traditional. It's been out there from last decade and a half. Nobody has challenged it. Everybody says that this doesn't work. We all know the problem, right? Which is less than 1% of the leads that marketers and sales generate turn into customers. So clearly something is dramatically wrong with this picture. So what do I do? So I flipped it out of just pure curiosity and started to create my own different kind of stages and, and came up with the idea of flip my funnel, looked up on Google, there, nobody owned that domain and or GoDaddy. So I bought the domain and wrote a blog post called Flip My Funnel. And it was the four different stages of a new way of doing B2B marketing and sales. And very quickly, the stages were identify the right companies first. The second was expand within them, the reach, and then kind of engage the people on their terms as opposed to engaging everybody and then turning them into advocates. And I wrote a blog post that went kind of viral uh, in the B2B sense. And I got a whole bunch of tweets and, and emails on LinkedIn saying that, hey, we love this new way of doing it. How do we do it? And I was like, I don't know how to do it. I just think it's a cool idea. And everybody's like, no, this is great. This really makes sense for a company perspective. So ended up hosting a first event in Atlanta called Flip My Funnel. Uh, and we had no terminus session or anything like that. We just did into like invited the smartest people like Jill Raleigh and others to come and speak at the conference. Like Megan Eisenberg came and spoke. And it was great. Like Megan Hero from Serious Decisions. And it was a one-day event. And we had like about 350 people show up to it. And we're like, we got something really good going 
going on here because we clearly are talking about the problem and the problem really closely associates with the, with the epidemic that's happening in B2B marketing and sales, which is leads are not converting into sales. And this new approach of sales and marketing is really uh, starting to make sense for people. So we ended up doing like seven different events in the last year and a half. And every time we would do an event, we would get like four, five, six hundred people attend that conference. And that's really has been a growth strategy for us from a category building perspective, as well as for Terminus from a growth perspective. Okay. So, so in terms of leads, at the moment we measure success on how many leads we get. Is this the wrong way to measure success? And are they any use to a sales team just handing them a bunch of leads? I'll, I'll give you a great example, Harry, and this is something, and not taking a dig at, at the marketing world in general, but I'm a marketer and I've been in the shoes as everybody else has in B2B, where we all just measured on sometimes the wrong thing. And because we are measured on the wrong things, like Tim Kopp mentioned on, and I listened to the Saster interview that you guys did recently, is that that really doesn't drive the needle. So it's the question that we're ask, sometimes asking is wrong. Really what changes the game and moves the needle is revenue and pipeline and trying to focus on on that. And I think I have a great example that shows how wrong it can go. So I have a company, a customer, not, not now, but previously, who actually created an infographic for Game of Thrones. And it was an incredible Game of Thrones infographic. And they had over 10,000 or so people download it. And they, the marketing team was excited. They said, we have crushed every single record in the history of the company on generating leads. And they went to the sales team and said, here are 10,000 leads. You guys should now close so much more given our close rate and this and the other. And the sales team was excited, high five. The week was all about festivities. And at the end of the week, the sales leader came back to the marketing set, never ever send me those leads again. And the marketing team is like, what are you talking about? You got 10,000 leads. And they're like, yes, they're all interested in Game of Thrones. Nobody even knows about how, what we do and how, how we support the product. And the sales team is not able to even create opportunities with majority of them. So it was like the measurement of leads went so wrong to such a large extent that all of a sudden the success metric didn't mean anything when it came to number of leads. And that's where I see the problem is with a traditional funnel and why the flip funnel makes sense is because when you identify the right companies and you start creating content, focusing on those companies, then it's not about quantity. It's about quality and it's about engaging the right people on their terms. Mm -hmm. And should you cold reach out to them or should this be a very targeted, warm, introduced referral? It could actually be both, right? It depends. So I'll give you another example. There's a WP Engine based out of Austin. It's a great company. They spoke at one of the Flip My Funnel conferences, and they do a phenomenal job of doing a sales and marketing joint uh, campaigns. So an example that they shared was warming up accounts. What they do is for the sales and marketing leaders came together and said, here are 100 accounts that we're going to focus on. And marketing, run air cover campaigns for the, for the next two weeks. And sales don't touch these accounts. So sales wasn't touching. Marketing is running air cover campaigns. They're warming up the accounts through advertising, direct mail, and email nurture, and making sure that their name and brand presence is there in front of these 100 accounts and all the people that are part of the decision makers that they want to get their message in front of. And then they gave it to the sales team saying that, all right, these accounts are warmed up. Here are a few accounts, like you know, about 20% or so that have shown engagement because they have visited, they have clicked, they have responded, they have, uh, have, have you know emailed, opened, and all that stuff. So you can see engagement in these 20 accounts. Go focus on these accounts 
accounts. So when sales started to focus on that 20%, they saw like, you know, 20, 40, 100% in some cases increase in their connect ratio and ability for them to set up demos. And that's a classic example of how sales and marketing can work together on a target list of accounts, warm them up, and then use the outreach, as you're saying, but only on the companies that actually do matter because there is an exposure that has been done with a clear message. So targeting at scale can be done before, and then the heavy, expensive outreach by the sales team can be done as a follow-up based on which accounts actually engage. Sangam, can I ask you a very direct question? Go for it, Matt. So I just interviewed John Barrows, who's one of the leading sales consultants. He's Salesforce's number one sales trainer. And we were discussing kind of ABM and the integration of ABM with sales teams. And he said, ABM is amazing and fantastic, but it's not a new technique in terms of, you know, it's been done for many years before. It's just a new acronym. Do you agree with that thesis? A hundred percent. You do. I agree with it a hundred percent because I think sales, so for example, if you ask a salesperson, Hey, you know, where, you know, what did we close? He would never say I closed John, I closed Harry or I closed Sangram. He's going to say I closed IBM or I closed, you know, uh, whatever Manhattan associates or whatever the company that, that they're focused on. So sales has been trying and focusing on account-based selling, account-based selling for a long period of time. I think what's new is the technologies that are available now for both marketing and sales to be better at what they do. The challenge, here's the big challenge, Harry. I think the challenge is when a salesperson is talking to one person on the other side of a big company, that salesperson knows very well that there are 10 other decision makers and influencers in that company, but he doesn't have access to all of them, right? So he's trying to get and do whatever he can or she can to gather as much information. But if that person is not going to put you in front of all the other 10 people that are part of the influencing that decision-making process in that B2B company, then the chances of closing the deal is just lower. And I think now with Terminus as an example, but there are a lot many tools and technologies available where you can provide an air cover for the sales team while they're focusing on that account to make sure that all the influencers who's never, by the way, going to download an ebook or open an email or go to your website, but they are definitely influencing the decision-making process because that's how B2B sales process works, making sure that your brand is recognized. So now there's more support than sales team can finally get from marketers. And that's what's exciting. To what extent do you think bottoms up sales uh, and adoption then causes a problem in this respect when there aren't the key decision makers and it's kind of a mass of developers who are making the decision? Is there a problem there? And then the content marketing switches from ABM to kind of more buffer style content marketing? Yeah, I mean, there there's definitely chance and there are scenarios uh, like that that happen all the time. I think the challenge really is if you know your ideal customer profile and you know that in this case, let's say IT developers are all the buyers in there, your marketing should be so much more different than how you would market to a, to a marketing organization or you could market to a sales organization. And I think the whole bottom-up kind of approach kind of breaks down when you're not 100% sure what your target audience is really care you know, care about. So we know, uh, and we see a lot of customers where they would say, Hey, we want to do ABM because we know this is hot. I'm like, great. Who are you targeting? And they say, well, we're targeting, um, you know, so-and-so very, very specific kind of audience. And if that audience is not online, well, advertising is may not be the right thing for you to do. Maybe you should be doing direct mail. Maybe you should be calling them because there are only 50 companies that you want to target. As an example, I know a company that only sells, uh, like parts to airplanes. Well, guess what? There are only so many 
companies that you they can be really targeting to sell airplane parts and they shouldn't be doing and spending a ton of money on content marketing and spending a ton of money on everything and trying to be you know everything to everyone they should only be focusing on those 10 20 30 companies or channel partners who can help them get their foot in the door because that sales process is so different and i think that's where i see a breakdown where everybody's trying to generalize abm and saying that hey let's just do this because this works well it won't work if your audience is not going to be receptive to that idea of connecting with them and engaging with them in terms of customer profile how focused and narrow do you think you have to be i speak to lots of startup founders who say oh we've got five or six Uh, can you have five or six or does it need to be a very honed and strategic approach I think it is such a big mistake, right? Again, I'm not a serial entrepreneur, so I can't speak to like majority of the people. I just started this thing and I feel very passionate about the problem. We have to very quickly gear up and within even B2B. So we're selling like Terminus, for example, we're selling to B2B marketers, period. We're not selling to everybody. We know sales is influencing it and sales is the, the beneficiary for it, but we're not trying to tell sell to the sales guy. We're selling value to the sales guy, but we believe B2B marketer is the one who's going to orchestrate orchestrate everything related to account-based marketing. And, and that's important. But within that, we can also see that, well, are we selling to demand gen person or digital marketing person or a marketing communications or product marketing? That starts to get hairy. So within, as you can see, within a, a function, it can become very, very challenging because the messaging can be so diluted when you try to generalize it. So imagine when people go and say, oh, I want to sell to marketers and sales and customer success or everybody else under the sun. Well, the message is going to get more more and more diluted. So all of a sudden, you're talking to everybody. And when you do that, nobody's listening. And I think that's the fear I have when companies say that we want to target multiple different personas uh, across the board. And, and there are iconic examples like Salesforce and HubSpots of the world, where Mark Benioff, for example, and, and the Salesforce in general, focused on sales for majority of their uh, existence until very recently, where with the acquisition of Exact Target and others, uh, they started to get into marketing cloud. HubSpot, for example, they have traditionally, like, you know, we heard like Dermesh talk about it last time he was there. uh, And it was amazing to hear him say that he focused, they decided as a founding team, as a board, that they're going to focus only on SMB and not go enterprise route because nobody can really play in that. So it's so important to zero in on who you want to target in order to be successful, especially in the early days. I don't think it can be taken lightly at all. And your targeting of your customer profile has gone clearly very well because you've scaled to now over 100 people. And I wanted to about one very specific aspect of your scaling with the team and kind of giving your team a sense of ownership. And you said to me before, we like to give them the keys to the Ferrari. So before we dive into the quick fire, uh, talk to me about the keys to the Ferrari. What is What do you mean by this? And, and what kind of lessons have you learned from the expansion that you'd pass on to founders scaling? I love that, man. This is, this is one of my fun, like the most fun that I have talking about it. We do it in terms of every single person we hire, onboarding, keys to the Ferrari is the culture that we have. The idea is that, look, we're trying to hire really smart people, really talented people, and we wanted to make sure that we never create a culture where we know it all. We wanted to make sure that we are hiring people because we think they know better than us uh, in the areas that they are good at. So the idea behind keys to the Ferrari is that, look, if I hire, let's say, a product marketer, we expect them to be really good at product 
product marketing, and we're going to listen to them, and we're going to use them and leverage their ideas and thoughts and make sure that they get the, the, the ability to kind of voice that and really put the keys in their hands, which means they have to drive it too. It's not like, hey, here's an idea, come with an idea to us and we would drive it. No, no, you are driving it. And we also wanted to really make sure that everybody understand that you have keys to like one Ferrari. And that's something newer concept like in general, because we want to make sure that people can do 20 things. Like people can do one or two things really, really well. So we're starting to get to this idea where you have the keys to the Ferrari, which means you're going to drive fast. You have full accountability, ownership, and autonomy around that stuff. We are here to support in every way possible for you to be successful. But but at the end of the day, you can't drive multiple Ferraris. You got to drive one Ferrari at a time. And that's really what's driving a lot of our initiatives. So for example, we have like Nikki Nixon, who is now on Determinist team, but she is director of Flip My Funnel. All her job is to help build the category. She has very little responsibility, if any, on Terminus side. Her job is to build the category and that's what she does. And that's the Ferrari that she's driving. On the flip side, we have somebody who came in as this was her, Sydney, who is on the customer success team. She, this was kind of her first job and but she did so well. Now she runs the entire customer success engine for the company because she's so passionate about it. So we wanted to make sure that as a culture, we're rewarding people who work hard. And if they are cruising and they're making, uh, working hard and they're driving the Ferrari as fast as they can, then they're going to get rewarded. So that's just the culture and one way to kind of express that in just a very fast moving pace, I guess, we came up with the idea of keys to the Ferrari. No, I love that. I love that uh, analogy. Uh, but I'd love to dive into a quick fire. Uh, as you know, 60 seconds faster, um, 60 seconds per phrase. How does that sound? Sounds great. Let's do it. So let's do then the biggest learning from the experience with Terminus. I think the biggest one for me has been that startups is hard. So I'm like kids with, you know, two kids and a mortgage and everything. And probably the worst time I could have done a startup because I just had a second kid, uh, like a month old when she was born. I decided to kind of jump into a terminus with my co-founders, Eric Spett and Eric Bass, uh, and realized startups are really hard. And what's even harder is to go build a category and be part of it because it requires you to have investment of time and energy and focus on it. But what we learned learned and in something is that focusing on the problem matters way more than the product in the initial stages. And that's something that didn't come natural to us. So what I mean by that is really, if we are, we can zero in on the product, which is less than 1% of the leads turn into customers. And we want to change that. And we want to make our customers heroes. We really kind of, everybody in the company really kind of made sure that everybody understands that problem that we're solving and focusing on that through our messages across every single team really is helping us scale. In the early days, we didn't focus on it as much. And I think as we're growing, we're starting to focus a lot more like how do we make sure that this problem is the center, the most important thing that we stand for, why we exist, and making sure that every function in the company and every person we join knows this 100%. It's not the product, it's the problem we're solving. What's your favorite SaaS reading material? Well, as, as everybody says and must say, SASTER is definitely on top of the list because without that, really, it's really hard to kind of understand. And with everything you're going going on, you need to really make sure that you're up to speed. So definitely love Saster. I'm glad you said that. Otherwise, Saster, <laughs> Saster 2017 would have been off. <laughs> oh, man. I definitely. I mean, it's great content. Like, there's no denying in that. Uh, the other part for me really is kind of reaching out to other CEOs and CMOs in the in the, in the the founder community, right? And I think you guys have done a great job of putting them on pedestal and with, like, these kind of things. I hear it all the time. So Michael Litt, who, who I heard, you know, in the previous Saster, uh, is a great friend and doing amazing stuff. 
up. So it's, they are further along than we are. So, but I have relationship where I'm able to reach out and say, Hey, here is what we're trying to do. We're trying to hire, we're trying to grow, we're trying to put product, you know, thing, vision. How do we go about it? So my favorite way to do it is that when in doubt, like just reach out to the community and there are amazing, amazing founders who are there to help. They, you know, there are a lot of people like Michael Lift as an example of it, where they're ready to help. They want to help. They have seen some things and they can share. And sometimes it's way more important when you hear somebody tell you what to do and you share your part of the frustration and they say, oh, you know what? I've gone through that. Don't worry about it. Just focus on this. It is so, so relaxing, right? Because as a founder, you have so much stress about everything. Everything is, something is on fire every single day. And this community of other founders is super important to to be part of. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And then uh, let's do the best advice given to you. Uh, The best advice, I think it it comes from Kevin Babaski. He was my my manager uh, when the acquisition happened from Parda to Exact Target. And the first one he said when the acquisition happened, hey, Sangram, um, remember, you know, the marketing at Parda, it's 1x, it's great, and it's doing good, but now you're acquired by Exact Target. So just think about stuff in 10x. I'm like, okay, great. I understand that 10x. Good. And then six months later, we got acquired by Salesforce. And he came back to me and said, hey, remember that 10x conversation we had? I'm like, yeah, yeah, we are on it. We're, you know, the team is excited. We're 10x. They're like, no, 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 forget about that. Do 100x because now you're acquired by Salesforce. <laughs> so so for me, what I learned is the, the ability to scale. And, and what he was trying to help me understand and learn was that, look, we got to think bigger and we got to think about scale and we got to do things that actually impact and matter. And it wasn't about that because you want to do it 100x, it means we do more things. It wasn't that. It was that do whatever you do, make sure that the impact of that is 10x or impact of that is 100x. And it was a very big change in my mindset. And I brought that when I came and joined Terminus uh, is that, hey, let's make sure that with Flip My Funnel, with Terminus, with the brand, let's do things. Let's not do everything, but whatever we do, make let's make sure the scale is at least 10x, if not 100x. And then I want to finish those say, and we're not in the quick fire, but I want to finish on one of my favorite topics, uh, and that's customer success. So I'm, I'm intrigued to talk to you as the founder of when you hired your first CS officer with Terminus, and was this the right decision time-wise to hire them? Uh, I think the most important thing when you think about customer success for us, we we were still selling like me, Spat, Bass, all the co-founders. We were still like selling in the first until we got to like 200 or 300 kind of, you know, as, as we got to like scale of customers and stuff. But at least for the first 10 or 20 customers, we were still like 100% selling. We went up to 40, 50. But we did hire customer success as the first person. We did not hire a salesperson before a customer success. And we did that and it was very challenging because we were still selling and we could have easily hired a salesperson before we had a customer success, but we decided to hire a success person before because we felt like it was way more important when you're building a new category to make sure you understand what's happening with our customers and making them successful. We can still close deals, but a day-to-day kind of relationship with customer success is super important. And I think that's what we did. So we hired Sydney Smith, who's running the customer success team today. And that's how we focus on and make sure that is absolutely good. I think I learned that also from Pardot. I think Adam Blitzer and David Cummings, who are the founders of Pardot, they taught us, taught me at least in, in the early days that customer success is one thing that as a founder has fully in their control. You can't control what's going to happen in the marketplace. Maybe new competitors happen. Maybe something shitty thing happens in the marketplace. You never know what's going to happen. But one thing that you can obviously and most importantly can control is how your customers experience you as a company. Not 
just as a product, but as a company. So we take that very seriously here at Terminus. And, and my final question then, what did you look for in that first CS hire? I think we look for they, them experiencing pain. Uh, we look to make sure that they understand how painful it is for some of our customers. And I remember, like I'll tell you about Sydney, who's our customer success lead. First time we had a churn, she almost came in and she's going to hate me because I'm going to share this now. But she came in and she almost was like in tears and because she felt the pain of the customer and she also failed the pain of the churn that happened. That's what you're looking for in a customer success person is that are they feeling the pain of our customers and are, do they understand how important it is to make them successful? So if the emotional aspect of this is not there in customer success and they're looking at it as from a numbers perspective, then we have missed the mark. We want to make sure that every single customer success person really understands and feels the pain that our customers must be feeling because they are the voice of the customer when we think about product, when we think about the new things that we want to do and they need to voice it. And the only way they can voice it passionately is if they feel the pain. Well, Sangram, it's been such a pleasure having you on the show. I've really enjoyed getting to know you uh, and I can't wait to see the future ahead for Terminus. So thank you so much for sharing that with us. Thank you, Harry. See you at Saster. Absolutely. And if you'd like to join me and Sangram at Saster 2017 and would like a happy hour of mojitos or Mr. Jason Lemkin, then all you have to do is type in the words drinks with Harry, those three words drinks with Harry when you buy your Saster annual 2017 tickets. As always, we so appreciate all your support for the show. You can follow me on Snapchat at hstebbings with two Bs. You can follow Jason Lemkin on Twitter at Jason LK. And I look very forward to bringing you next week's episodes.